There is nothing like what we're doing this morning. Nothing like it in our lives to come together, gather in a room from different backgrounds and experiences. We are tied together by this desire, this calling, this yearning, this obedience to worship. To worship God in the ways that he's given us to worship. It was his wisdom to give us singing. To give us prayer. To give us his scripture. To read. To study. It's his wisdom to do those things. To give us to one another to serve spiritual gifts. It's unlike anything that we do in our lives. In a natural sense, it either makes... Like no sense to our minds what we're doing or in a natural sense it can become very routine religious practice that we go through. But God has ordained if we would cry out for passion and authenticity this is unlike anything that we get to do in our lives. And we get to do it. We get to do it. Not something that we have to do. In a sense it is. But we get to come and be with each other before God. And I'm thankful to get to do that with all of you. I want to I take just a moment to try and talk about this act of preaching. And, and the role that I think it has in our congregation. I've said this before, but our aim is that everything we ask you to do be sourced in one of our purposes. That's grounded in one of our purposes. So when we encourage you to be part of a discipling community group, a Bible study, a small group, when we encourage you to do that, it is sourced in our purpose of making disciples. When we ask you, as I believe you will hear us increasingly do this year, but when we ask when we encourage you to personal evangelism, to sharing Christ in your context, it is for that purpose, to make disciples. When we encourage you to be a part of a a ministry team, to plug in to serve, we're going to be looking at that kind of next Sunday with our ministry fair, but when we ask you to do that, it is tied in the purpose of loving one another, of serving one another. And when we ask you to gather corporately, two different services, our Rely service and our Lord's Day gathering we're doing right now, that is birthed in our purpose to love God together, to receive from Him as we humble ourselves in acts of worship. And that includes the act of preaching, which is quite foolish. Even the Bible says that. But preaching has a purpose in the church. Preaching, I do believe, can equip the saints and train them in the gospel. So I do think preaching has that purpose. But if this is the only instruction you receive in discipleship and God's word, your spiritual growth will be stunted at best. Likewise, preaching should speak to the lost about salvation. 
The gospel should be clear and people should be able to hear the gospel call. But this is not God's core strategy for evangelism. It's not preaching that you would just get someone to come to church and they can hear the preacher preach the gospel. That, that can happen, but that is not God's core plan to bring people to himself. But there is something that preaching does that is found nowhere else in the life of the congregation. You can't replicate it in a small group. You can't replicate it in a Bible study. And that is, I think, preaching in a church is the place where God, by His Spirit, communicates an overall direction to a local congregation from His Word. This is the place where we come together and all of us together hear God's Word for us as a church. And so it is a time where there's a corporate proclamation that builds us up in like-mindedness to help us think the same and have a vision that is the same and a heart that is the same. So I, I believe that preaching sets the tone for what happens in Bible studies, in evangelism, in ministry groups, and so forth. I think that's primary purpose of this corporate proclamation. So I share that because I feel that when Jesus sets for us a course in preaching, and I do think he does that. I mean, we, we can preach anything. And like the Bible says, all of it. As long as we're preaching scripture, that's good. But I believe God works to show us what should we should be preaching about and proclaiming corporately at a given time and in a given season. I believe that he, he does that. And I believe that when he sets a course for us in preaching, it helps communicate to us as a church what our need is in that season or in upcoming seasons. And so today, as we begin a time in the book of Proverbs that we will be in for a couple of months, maybe three, Lord willing, but I'm led to the conclusion that God is compelling us as a church to a time of highlighting how much we need His wisdom. That that is what He is speaking to us in this time. And that is what He is going to be calling out to us corporately and individually. That we have a desperate need far more than we can even imagine, for His wisdom. Your life is guided by someone's wisdom. Everyone in here is operating by principles of wisdom. What you think is wise, what you think is good, that is not a question. The question is, where does your wisdom come from? And the Bible gives us two choices. There is an earthly wisdom that the Bible says is ultimately demonic. Or there is a godly wisdom that is unlike our wisdom. A godly wisdom that challenges our wisdom. And every one of us, every day of our life, we are making decisions out of one of those two types of wisdom. And part of this series is going to challenge us to ask ourselves how we're living. And by 
Whose wisdom are we living? So I want to give you a few words about Proverbs. In our passage today, if you're a note taker and you have one of our worship guides, if you want to get that out, we'll have a few fill in the blanks if you if that helps you to follow through and study. Our passage today, these first seven verses, is the introduction to Proverbs. And you can break this introduction down in three sections. Verse 1 is the title. Tells us what this book is called and who wrote it. Verse 2 through 6, you find the purpose of the book. And in verse 7, you will find the thesis of the book. The foundation of it. The title, the purpose... And the thesis. So the title is verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Along with Job and Ecclesiastes, Proverbs makes up the Bible's wisdom literature. It is different than anything else in the Bible. It is unique. I've heard many people say that they find Proverbs to be rather challenging because when you get into the Proverbs and all of these wisdom statements, they don't always seem to flow like the books we're used to reading. But there's a purpose in wisdom literature. There's a purpose in the way that God wrote this book. The core of the book is found in chapters 10 through 31 in what we know as Proverbs, a collection of short, practical wisdom statements. The first nine chapters is basically a prologue, an introduction telling you why you should want wisdom. And then from chapters 10 through 31, you have these short wisdom statements. Now, we understand wisdom statements. We have them. We have wise sayings. I picked one out for us this morning. The early bird gets the worm. All of us knows that. That is a, all of us know that. That is a earthly English idiom wisdom statement. We use that to convey a principle of wisdom that the bird that gets up the earliest is likely to get the best meal. And we apply that to our lives to convey this wise principle that those who start something early have a better chance at success than those who arrive late. And we know that a wisdom statement teaches us a general wise truth. It helps guide our life. Does the early bird always get the worm? No. But the general practical wisdom is that the earlier the start, the better. So we understand this. We live by these. As a matter of fact, people shorten that. If you go to a business and they say, we have an early bird special, you know exactly what that means. Something that you're going to find, maybe in a restaurant, it's going to be in the first early morning hours of the day. And so God has given us his own book of wisdom statements. And if we know ours, we should definitely know his. These wisdom statements had a historical purpose. They were used in ancient Israel, actually all of the ancient Near East, as a way of training young people to one day be leaders. These statements were used by parents to train their children and by leaders in a royal court to train young people who came to them. But we see from the opening of this book that it is not addressed just to young people 
but also to older people, which means God has designed for these wisdom statements to be for all of us. The majority of this book was written or collected by Solomon. And as we learned from our opening reading this morning, Solomon desired wisdom to govern the people of God. God gave him a chance to ask for anything. And he was so humbled, so in awe, maybe so scared of what he had been given to do to govern Israel. That he said, God, the one thing, if you're going to give me one thing I can ask for, I want wisdom. Because who can govern your people but you? I need your wisdom to do this thing. Every single one of us in our lives, if we don't view our life that way, if we don't view our roles that way, God, what you've given me to do, I cannot do unless you give me wisdom. It's a good indication that we're relying on our own wisdom and not his. God was so pleased by Solomon. And I would say that God is pleased by every person who has a heart to say, God, only you can help me here. And God was so pleased by that that he greatly rewarded Solomon. We're not to take away from that that if we cry out for wisdom, God will make us rich. Not physically, but we can take away from that that God rewards those who rely on him without question. He will reward you if you lean into his wisdom. If you lean into the wisdom of the earth, you will also have a reward. But it will be the reward that the earth gives. And it will be full of difficulty. And Solomon had the distinction of being the wisest man who ever lived apart from Jesus Christ. Wisdom, for me is the one spiritual gift that I have asked God for over and over and over. I found myself when I felt called to pastoral ministry, I began to feel this urging in my spirit for wisdom. Some of you know this, some of you don't. I, I don't have a theological degree. I went to Bible college but because of different things in my life, I was unable to finish that. I don't have a piece of paper that shows that a school has given me the right to be a pastor. And I, there's nothing wrong with that theological education. But for me, from the very beginning, I have known that if I was going to be able to effectively pastor, if God was going to allow me to do that, it would be by one path and one path only. And that would be that he would grant me wisdom. So for 15 years, that is what I've cried out for. I don't say that, that I've arrived. It's not for me to even judge. But my heart in this series is that all of us would have that same desire. I want us to be a wise church. I want us to be a people filled with the wisdom of God. And he will give that to us if we ask. If we seek it like we would treasure of gold or silver. If someone told you today that there was a million dollars buried in your backyard. I hope you would stay the rest of this service, but I guarantee you wouldn't stop for lunch. You would be home and you would be digging. And the Bible says it is, it is worth more to get into God's word and dig for his wisdom that it would be if you found that million dollars in your backyard. 
I want us to be a wise church. And so I think that the corporate study of Proverbs will help us. In your notes, Proverbs is written that we might see the value in God's wisdom, that we might delight in his offer to pour wisdom out to us, and that we might learn it in very practical ways. That's why we have Proverbs. It's a different book, but it allows us to see the value of wisdom, to delight in God's offer for it, and to learn it in very practical ways. So I think it would be helpful for us to define wisdom at the outset of this series. And I will tell you that the definition that I'm going to give you is mine, and it is not perfect. And if you were to go out and Google what is wisdom, you will get a lot of different answers. But here's the one that I want us to use for this series. Biblical wisdom is the skill, and I'll just pause there and say wisdom always involves a skill or an expertise. Wisdom is the skill of applying the principles of God's Word in any situation to ensure the best possible outcome. Wisdom is when you have the ability, the skill, the expertise to apply the principles of God's Word in any situation you are in, at work, at home, wherever you are, friendships, relationships, marriages, in your finances. Wisdom is the ability to apply the principles of God's Word in any situation so that you can ensure the best possible outcome. All of the attributes that you see in verses 2 through 6, all of those attributes ultimately lead us to wisdom. Knowledge. Knowledge is closely connected to wisdom. Knowledge involves learning what God's Word says, knowing what God's Word says. But knowledge isn't enough. You don't want to just have a a knowing of what God's Word says. Understanding is closely related to wisdom because understanding is when you have deep insight into what you're learning. It's when you, you have knowledge, but then you understand it. God gives you the ability to see things in His Word that you haven't seen before. But wisdom is the skill to take that knowledge and that understanding and apply it to your daily life, to know how to apply it wherever you go. And when I say that it will lead us to the best possible outcome, I have in mind verse 3 in chapter 1. Wise dealing leads us to righteousness, justice, and equity. We will have those. A couple of weeks ago, Josh... Dean was overseeing this basically board meeting that, that, that he's leading and it is, it's not of a Christian organization per se or anything like that, but he, he knew going into that meeting that it was going to be a tough meeting and he texted some of us as leaders and he asked us for one thing that we would pray that God would give him wisdom. Not because he was going to be teaching a Bible study there that night or not because the people that were in that board meeting were interested in the oracles of God, but because he believed that if God gave him wisdom, it would be the best possible outcome. That's how we look at our life. 
in your notes, wisdom will always determine two things. And I'll go back to what I said a moment ago. Remember, we're all being led by someone's wisdom. But wisdom will always determine what you do. You are applying knowledge and understanding to your life. So if it's the wisdom of the world, you're applying the knowledge you've acquired in the world, the understanding you have in your natural sense, and you're applying that to your life, and it is determining what you do. But if you have biblical wisdom, it's the same thing. But your knowledge is from God, your understanding is from God, and you're applying His Word. Romans 12.2 tells us to not be conformed to the world. And the verse goes on to say, the way we avoid this is by having our minds renewed so that we can discern the will of God, what is acceptable and perfect. I think that is a beautiful picture of wisdom. To think rightly and to apply the knowledge that God is giving us in a renewed mind to how we act and how we react, which is what we're doing most of the day. We're acting and we're reacting. And you don't have time to think about it. Most of the time it's, it's pretty automatic, especially when it comes to reaction. Which is why it's so important that wisdom be in us. So that in that moment, wisdom is what's guiding us. You're preparing for the reaction you're going to have to have six months from now by what you do right now. If you wait until that moment to prepare, probably going to react poorly. I said this to us last week, but if you try to live your life by always going to the scriptures and looking for a command, do this or don't do this, you're eventually going to find that the Bible simply does not have a verse that applies to every situation you face. There is not a command or instruction about everything that you will face, but what God has done is God will give you the expertise that you need to take the word he has given and to know how to discern and pull out of it good principles that you can apply in any situation you're in. That's what wisdom is. It's what it guides us to do. To be able to think, based on what I know of God's word, here's what I think would be wise to do. And it's a beautiful thing when God allows you to do that. And he will if you ask him. In your notes, wisdom will also always determine how you do what you do. This is your character. Wisdom isn't just about action and reaction. It is also about your character and your traits. Wisdom determines what you do, and it determines how you do it. And I want to say again... You're being led by one of two types of wisdom. And so if it's an earthly wisdom, then your character and your traits and how you do things is being molded by the world. God wants how we act to be molded by His Word, but also the way that we do things in our character and our behavior, our traits. James 3.17 says that the wisdom that comes down to us from above has the characteristic of purity, peace, gentleness, being open to reason, full of mercy, full of good fruits, having impartiality and sincerity in all that we do. That's from wisdom. 
The character of wisdom in you is what leads you to be a gentle person, a pure person, a merciful person. You see, you can be someone who does your very best to live a very obedient life in terms of instructions, and yet you can have a character that's not very appealing. I'll put it another way. You can be right and be very ugly about it. You can seek to obey God's law, and you can achieve something in that. And yet, if you lack wisdom, you can make a complete mess of your life even while trying to be obedient. Wisdom, according to Proverbs 4.9, places a beautiful crown on your head. That means wisdom is the key to a lovely life, an appealing life, a beautiful life, because it determines both your ethics and your actions. So God has ordained this book, Proverbs, to help us obtain to take in wisdom. All of his word will lead us to a wise life, but Proverbs, it's the purpose of the book. It tells us right in verse 2, to know wisdom. It's the purpose of this book that we're going to study together. If you're a young person, verse 4 says, this book's for you. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. If I could, I would love to go back 25 years and just study Proverbs as I, as I live. How rich my life could be in wisdom if I had done that. So young people, study Proverbs. It's for you. Parents, read them to your children. It's for your kids. But it is also for those who are older and wiser. Verse 5 says, let the wise hear hear these Proverbs, and increase in their learning. So if you're a person who's already growing in the Lord, growing spiritually, maturing in Him, gaining wisdom, Proverbs, hearing the Proverbs can help you increase in that wisdom, increase in your learning. And all of this tells me that the Christian life should include regular intentional reading and pondering and praying through Proverbs. This is something that we don't just do one time, we should go back to them. Over and over, often, exposing yourself to the practical statements of this book and knowing that every time that you do, God is developing in you wise ways of living, ways that will help you have the best chance at the outcome you you desire. But more importantly than that, studying Proverbs helps you be more like Jesus. Why do I say that? In your notes, this life truth Jesus is wisdom personified. Jesus is wisdom in bodily form. To know wisdom is to know him. To know wisdom is to know him. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 24 says that Jesus is the wisdom of God. Colossians 2 says that in Jesus is hidden all treasures of wisdom. To be a wise person is to be like Jesus. The more you grow in wisdom, the more you are like Christ. Jesus always knew how to rightly apply God's Word in any situation He was in. That's why you see continually in the New Testament, He was able to silence every critic and He was able to teach every follower because He knew how to apply God's Word. 
One of the things that I want you to do in this series, if you're a note taker, write it down, remind yourself, I want you to look for Jesus in the Proverbs. As we read this together, and our our plan is we're going to study the first nine chapters together as a church, and there's going to be a point after Easter where we're going to read through chapters 10 through 31 together every week, assigning some of those chapters so that we're all reading them together as a church. And then we'll preach in a high level through those wisdom statements, not going through one by one. We'd be there about six years. Some of you may have assumed that's what we would do, but we'll take a little bit of a different approach this time unless God changes our mind. But one of the things I want you to do is look for Jesus. You will see his actions and his character reflected in those wisdom statements. You'll read one of them and you'll think, I, I, I know, I remember Jesus doing this. This applies in the New Testament. You will see Jesus in the call to let wisdom come into your heart. When you read that exhortation in Proverbs to make your ear attentive to wisdom, I want you to remember where we ended in that Burn Brightly series. That picture of Jesus standing at the door of his church and his people, knocking, asking to be let in. Wisdom is at your door, knocking. And if you will open the door to wisdom, he will come in and share a meal with you. And you will have wisdom. Isaiah 11.2 speaks of the coming Messiah, Jesus, and says the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Jesus had upon him a spirit of wisdom, of understanding, of knowledge. And Jesus says, I am sending you the way the Father sent me. Which means, church, we too can have that spirit of wisdom and knowledge and understanding in and on us, if we ask and seek and abide with Jesus. And it's interesting to me in that passage in Isaiah 11 too that it also says the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord was on Jesus. And that brings us to that verse 7, the thesis of Proverbs. In verse 7, the word is used knowledge. Later in the book, it'll use the word wisdom. Again, they're very closely connected. But verse 7 gives us the starting place. If you sit here this morning and you say, okay, you've convinced me. I need wisdom. I want wisdom. How do I start? The Bible says, fear God. Fear the Lord. That's your beginning spot. That's the beginning of the journey. It's the thesis of this book. The beginning of a knowledgeable, wise life is the fear of the Lord. Jesus had the fear of the Lord. So we know, because Jesus had the fear of the Lord, we know that the fear of the Lord is not a paralyzing terror. It is not a paralyzing terror that causes you to flee from God because Jesus had the fear of the Lord and he loved his Father. And he abided with his father. He ran to his father. Only a Christian, only a Christian can know what it's like to simultaneously fear God in his holiness and also bask in his love and gentle care. As foolish to the world 
But the Christian life is both. It's to fear God in His holiness and to know that He cares for us. The Christian life is to know Jesus as the children of the Chronicles of Narnia knew of Aslan the lion. He is not safe, but he is good. That's the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is not a beginning point as in the starting line and then you move away from it. I don't believe it means that you start your Christian journey fearing God, but then over time you grow into loving him and you leave fear behind. That is not the picture. The beginning in Proverbs means the chief thing, the principal thing. The chief thing of wisdom is to fear the Lord. In your notes, the fear of the Lord is a door to walk through and a path to stay on. It is both a door and a path. Hebrews 11.6, this is a passage that we talk about sometimes. We talked about it at our last Rely service. Hebrews 11.6 says that faith pleases God. Without faith, you can't please Him. And Hebrews 11.6 describes faith this way. It is to believe God exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. When you have a fear of the Lord, you seek God because you want to submit to Him, because you believe He exists and He will reward you. You you seek after Him because you are eager to please God. Some of you, maybe you've had a corporate job or, or you've had any kind of job and there was this like desire that you had to please your boss, but you might have recognized that the core of that was this fear that they wouldn't give you a raise or they wouldn't give you a promotion or that they might tell you leave. Part of the fear of the Lord, we seek after Him because we know that He rewards those who come to Him. And because in our hearts, we want to please Him above anyone or anything. We're eager to do that. Because we know in our hearts that he cares for us. But the proud, the proud are the faithless. The proud are those who despise God's wisdom. That's the opposite of having the fear of the Lord. The opposite of the fear of the Lord is when you despise his instruction, you hate the very thought of God telling you what to do. You care nothing about knowing what God says because you would prefer to follow your own path. The proud fear man, not their creator. They fear the ridicule of other people more than the judgment of God. They trust in their own knowledge. They trust in their own experience. They despise the thought of running to him for help. Maybe they literally despise it. Maybe they're just, they just have an aversion to it. I don't need God. Agape, we have to be careful. 
You and I have today the access to so much information. You can spend two hours on the internet and feel like an expert in anything. You have dug up the one thing nobody else knows. The one person, the one video, the one article that if everybody could read that, they would know what you know and everybody would be okay. I'm not saying there's not helpful things out there, but we have to be careful in our knowledge and everything that we have access to that we don't become proud people where we think we have all the answers or our experiences because we've went through so much and we've experienced so much and we began to think we're superior to others. Pride convinces us that we're right. And before long, we're not even asking God for guidance. We have so many voices speaking to us about what is wise and what is good. God is calling us to listen to him. Ray Ortland, I put this quote in your handout. He's a pastor. He said, we think our opinion is the measure of all things, forgetting that we are the ones being measured. Wisdom is knowing you're the one being measured by God and you need him. You're not the one measuring everyone else. For this series, our primary verse is Proverbs 14, 8. And I will give that to you in my translation. The wise seek God so they can discern their way. But fools are deceived by their own foolishness. Every one of us are living in wisdom or folly. That's how Proverbs presents it. And every person we know are living in either wisdom or folly. So I want to ask you today, if you would be willing to come to Christ and seek wisdom, no matter how weak you feel, broken you feel, used you feel, or ignorant you may feel, God delights in giving his wisdom to those who ask. And it is valuable. Rusty's not here today, but when I gave him kind of what I wanted to do for this sermon, he gave this graphic that's on on here in like 15 minutes. And it's a scale. It's what was in his mind. Earthly wisdom being outweighed by godly wisdom, and at the center of all of it is the cross. Foolishness to man, but the wisdom of God Today, would you look to the cross and would you see there the wisest man who ever lived hanging there in all of his wisdom, bleeding, forsaken by his father for one purpose, that you would not die in your foolishness, that you would not be deceived by earthly wisdom. Agape, if you ask for wisdom, the man called Jesus will come to your heart and guide you. And so the thing that I want to ask of us as a church as we start this journey in this book together is are we willing to repent from where we have been living in our own wisdom, by our own opinion, by our own thoughts of how things should be? And would we turn to Christ and pray for his constant counsel? If you're doing that for the very first time this morning, 
asking wisdom to come into your heart and save you, please, before you leave here today, come and talk to me so that we can have a discussion about what God is doing. But if today it is just a matter of being reminded, I need God's wisdom and I am often proud in thinking that I'm right, God is setting us on a journey to repent of that trust in ourselves and rely on Him. I want to invite the worship team to come up. You guys can bring the lights down, and we're going to have some prayer partners over to my left if they'll go ahead and join us over there. This morning, I want to ask that we would worship in response to God's Word. I also want to ask that we would pray together. You could pray at your seats, obviously. You can pray up here on the the stairs if you would prefer. Sometimes it's helpful to remind ourselves, humble ourselves before God. That's sometimes the helpful way to do that. Or if you just need someone to pray with you about anything, maybe about something this word this morning is stirred in your heart, or it may be about a burden that you brought into the room today. Sometimes it's good just to have someone who will pray with you. These prayer partners are confidential in whatever you ask them to pray about. They're not standing up here because they're perfect, but because they're willing to serve you today by praying for you. But Agape, as we start this journey together, would you pray for wisdom? Would you ask God for it? To heal your life and help your life by His wisdom, to guide and direct you no matter how young you are or how old you are? And we'd repent of those times in our lives where we're guiding ourselves, sure that we're right, and ask Jesus to be our constant counsel. And would you pray this morning for the fear of the Lord? To have the appropriate fear in your heart to know that He is God and that you want to please Him and submit to what He has said. And you know He will reward you when you seek Him. Would you pray to have that appropriate fear of God this morning? That is our doorway and our pathway to being a wise church, to be a church that fears Him. Father, I ask that you would take your word and please apply it to our hearts. It is not within my capability to come up with a list to jog everyone's mind or heart. And it's not my job Father, you have given us your spirit, so this morning, would you stir us to your word? Would you stir us to affections for your word? And would you stir us to obedience to what you are saying to us right now? If it is to kneel, stand, sing, pray, go to someone, write something down, whatever you're leading us to do right now, God, would we, would you help us by your spirit to be obedient? God, help us to be a wise church. Help us on this journey the next few months through Proverbs. Help us to be a church filled with the wisdom of God, filled with Jesus. Help us, God. In your name, amen.